This show was previously recorded from 2019. For heroes proved in liberating strife. Hi there. Welcome back. Uh, little Ray Charles for you. I wanted to uh, present uh, Murray Rothbard. I'm going to try and get his entire uh, speech in in this segment, so I'm in a hurry. Murray Rothbard is one of the true economists of our time who really nails history and un- an understanding of how government messes with the people. And so without further ado, I want to play him because I'm going to try, like I said, I'm going to try and get this in. If I can't, I'll, I'll do it on the next segment. Uh, this is Murray Rothbard. I think this is back in the 70s, maybe early 70s, talking about, uh, talking about the history of scarcity. Scarcity and uh, um, uh, shortage. And so he had two points to make, and this was one about the scarcity. Otherwise, he was talking about central banking um, as the other uh, problem. But here we go, and him talking about scarcity. But listen up. This is a great conversation, a great, uh, uh, a great speech on this. Here we go. America. We start off, with, it's, 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 it should seem peculiar to, to an economist. It's uh, characteristic that most historians don't know anything about economics. Most economists don't know anything about history. For an economist, it sounds very peculiar. It should be a red flag to the bull to start talking about a shortage of specie. The the colonial America suffered from a terrible money shortage. Uh, Why couldn't we buy specie? I mean, there was, after all, transportation going back and forth. There was plenty of trade back and forth to Europe. Specie is coin. I just want to make that known. Specie is coin. Okay, here we go. With the Europe, there are plenty of coins, silver and gold coins around. Why couldn't we simply buy them to transport specie to, to America and use it? Uh, it's true that the British government, uh, suffering from mercantilist fallacies, as, we, as most American governments did too, passed a law that the, that the uh, Americans' colonies couldn't have mints and uh, also try to keep British specie in Britain. <coughs> However, we didn't need British species. As a matter of fact, the, most of the coins that we used were Spanish uh, silver dollars, which we can import from Spain. And uh, we also used later on Austrian Maria Theresa units, etc. So we didn't really need English coin. And, and indeed, we used Spanish and other foreign coins, Portuguese coins, Austrian coins. So the first problem then is if, uh, if there was a so-called shortage of species, why didn't we buy any? Why didn't Americans simply export? buy this stuff from abroad. So it turns out, because whenever an economist hears the word shortage, he or she should immediately start saying, well, what do you, what do you mean shortage? There is no shortage in, in the free market. There's plenty of scarcity in the free market, as we all know. There's, there's no shortage. There's no situation you can't find something. For example, Rembrandts are very scarce, quite obviously. On the other hand, there's no Rembrandt shortage. I haven't heard anybody bellyaching about a Rembrandt shortage. If you want to pay a million and a half dollars, you can find a Rembrandt to buy. Okay. So the question then is, what's interfering with this, uh, with this mechanism that, uh, that, doesn't per- that doesn't permit shortage? As a matter of fact, a shortage is only the result of government intervention of, of a maximum price control. If, for example, the uh, government suddenly decreed for some obscure reason, of course, you, you people, they might suddenly decree that Wonder Bread, which is now selling at a, something like 89 cents a loaf, should only sell for 10 cents a loaf in order to help the American masses eat their Wonder Bread, right? Because every kid deserves at least a loaf a day. So uh, if the government then decreed this and said, okay, from now on as a maximum price control of 10 cents on every loaf of Wonder Bread, we, there, would, there, would be a very, there would be an instantaneous shortage. Okay? In other words, people would rush out and buy Wonder Bread for a dime a loaf because it's not only a dime. In the meantime, the Wonder Bread manufacturers would stop producing Wonder Bread for a dime a loaf, and so we'd have it very quickly a, a Wonder Bread shortage. 
I uh, couldn't find it on a shelf. A black market was undeveloped with people with mysterious folks on, and with raincoats on shady street corners offering hot Wonder Bread for $5 a loaf. The whole phenomenon of a shortage, fair to say that a shortage only exists in the world or, uh, when, when there's a government maximum price control below the free market level. And complaining about a shortage of specie in colonial America should let one lead one on to think, well, what, what must, there must be some government involved somewhere, and, and indeed there was. We have Gresham's Law, which is a sort of a charming, which is, unfortunately, this is a, sort of a side, a side point, but I think it's an interesting one. Gresham's Law is, is almost always um, stated incorrectly. person I can think I've been able to find, I did some studying of this, uh, who enunciated Gresham's Law, was not Gresham, of course, I mean, it was way before Gresham. It was Aristophanes, the great Greek satiric playwright, his, his marvelous play, The Frogs. And in The Frogs, he, he enunciates the incorrect version of Gresham's Law, which is that bad money drives good money out of the market. There's, in other words, the implication is that something peculiar about money, where for bad money, a, a crummy money, a debased money, depreciated money, if it's, if it's circulating side by side with good money, say gold, that somehow gold will disappear and paper will outcompete it. Or, or bad money when I compete it. And this is, this is very peculiar because usually, usually in the free market, it's just the opposite. Usually good products will outcompete bad products. If you have a radio that doesn't work, competing with radios that do work, the non-working radio is going to disappear pretty quickly, even without a OSHA or whatever other government bureau. <laughs> so, but unfortunately, Aristophanes stated it incorrectly. Okay, so um, the first, as far as I can find out, the first proper statement of Gresham's Law, which stated it correctly, was by the great 14th century French physicist, astronomer, and, and uh, mathematician, Nicole O'Rem, who stated it correctly. He was a, then went on to become Bishop of Lisieux, and essentially saying that if the, well, he said, quote, if the fixed legal ratio of the coins differs from the market value of the metals, the coin which is underrated entirely disappears from circulation, and the coin which is overrated alone remains current. Essentially, in other words, if the government puts, if there are two monies, Circulating. If the government puts a maximum price control on a good money and a minimum price control between the two of them on the lousy money, the good money will disappear from circulation. There's a compulsory, in other words, people will then pay their debts and so forth and, and crummy money and hold on to the good one, either hoarding it or exporting it abroad. So the, the, the true version, the correct version of Gresham's Law is simply an application, an application of the theory of price control causing shortages to money to two monies operating side by side. Well, what happened in colonial America is precisely the working out of this, of this, uh, of the Gresham's Law in action. <clears throat> the um, colonial governments did, started to undervalue, uh, undervalue specie and overvalue their own crummy pound notes that their Massachusetts and other governments were putting out. In other words, they engaged in, in continuing debasement of their own currency units and artificially over, excuse me, undervaluing uh, a species. So the result was a species disappearing and too much Massachusetts paper and not enough species in the uh, in circulation. <clears throat> the definition of the shilling is also being manipulated so the shilling will have more and more, uh, less and less weight to it, less and less weight of silver, the Massachusetts shilling and the Connecticut shilling, each one competitively debasing in order to try to subsidize their exports and, and uh, limit their imports and try to bring specie into the, into this country, into the colony. In either case, it really worked very well. While this was going on, the 
Two important things happened in the history of money in the 1690s. It was a, it was a dramatic decade for the history of, of world money. One, one thing that happened was that the governments discovered government paper. They hadn't used it before, it had, as far as I can see. Outside of China, which of course invented both paper and printing long before we did in the West, and therefore went through a whole cycle about several centuries before the West did. But of course nobody knew what was going on in China, so it was a totally isolated kind of situation. Outside of China, there had been no government paper money issues before 1690, 1692. There had been bank paper, bank notes, paper bank notes, and government coins, which the government was progressively debasing by juggling standards of weight. But there hadn't been any actually government issues of paper money. This, 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 the invention of government paper then belongs to the credit or the blame of Massachusetts, the royal government of Massachusetts. What happened was that the, uh, there was a custom in those days for Massachusetts troops to go out and raid and plunder the French in, in, in Quebec, and actually in Nova Scotia. Uh, the, French had had a, uh, the French were very productive fishermen. They didn't have too many people up there, but they had a lot of fish and furs and so forth. So every, every three or four years, Massachusetts, Massachusetts troops would go up there and plunder it. Uh, and they come back with the loot to Boston and auction it off and pay the soldiers out of the, out of the proceeds. Sort of a pirate expedition, the best way I can describe it. This was one of the customs of Massachusetts, which, which we don't hear about on the, you know, on the bicentennials. And the French being outnumbered usually lost. Well, this time the French won, and this and before 1690. Anyway, they won. So the, the troops come back, not only with no booty, no loot, and also not getting paid. There's a, there's a great, one of the great insights we have in history is that when, in, in the course of history, when soldiers don't get paid, they get very, very edgy. <laughs> okay? So you have a lot of edgy people with guns. <laughs> This makes the government very upset, very, very worried, and they don't like this. So Massachusetts government is wildly looking around for some way to pay the, the soldiers. And uh, they, could, they, of course, didn't have any credit, they didn't have any gold, as usual, they're in bad fiscal shape. It's, so they decided, why don't we just issue, issue paper notes, call it pounds, and to pay them with that. Hope, hope this works. In December 1690, Massachusetts issued the first government paper money in the Western world. 7,000 pounds in paper notes to pay the salaries of these soldiers. Uh, now they couldn't issue just, couldn't just say paper, couldn't just say pounds because it wouldn't be accepted. So Massachusetts made a solemn two-fold pledge. You know about pledges in politics. Two pledges, which they would ever swear, ever always to keep. One that they redeemed the notes in specie in a few years. A few years is a little vague, but you know, a few years. And two, that would absolutely make no further issues of paper money. This was it. 7,000 pounds, and then on they quit. As usually happens in this situation, paper, the, the discovery of paper money is a wonderful thing for the government because nothing much happens at first. I mean, the world doesn't come to an end. You issue paper, you pay off your debts. Hey, this is, this is great. Prices go up a little bit, but not really too much at first. So it seems to the government they have a magic, sort of magic open sesame here. Like, boy, oh boy, they can, they can solve all the problems. They don't have to increase taxes. They don't have to, nothing much would happen. Just print money and spend it. Whoopee. <laughs> so in a few years, the idea of redemption faded away. I mean, they've was forgotten, the idea of species redemption. And the pledge limit itself evaporated only a few months. As a matter of fact, as early as February. That means two months after the issue of the, they swore up and down 7,000 pounds and that's it forever. They said the 7,000 pound issue had fallen far short as they put it, <laughs> far short of their needs, right? So they proceeded to issue 40,000 pounds of new money. Oh, way, this is fantastic. Rev it up, kid. In order to pay all the colonies' debts, past, present, and, and whatever. And then again saying, this is the last, this is it. From now on, this is the final issue. Of course, they kept issuing forever, for many years. 
and only one year the paper money had depreciated by 40%. At that point, two pamphlets were written, I don't know the names, I think anonymous pamphlets, attacking the public, this is interesting, attacking the public for being delinquent and sottish, as they call it, for, for buying these notes and only accepting these notes at only 40% 40% off. They should be at par. They said, after all, the government is a democratically elected government. It's a government of their own choosing. They must, therefore, their honor bound to consider these paper money at par with specie. So, of course, the, these exhortations didn't work. At that point, and a year later, after the exhortations didn't work, this is, always happens, by the way, when voluntary exhortations don't work, when the, when the government officials say, okay, you, you, and you stop spending to, 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 to stop inflation, let's say. And if that obviously doesn't work, then they say, okay, from now on, we take off the gloves. You know, and the old joke about Hitler, okay, from now on, no more Mr. Nice Guy. <laughs> A year later, they're giving them a chance to voluntarily accept the depreciated notes at par. The Massachusetts government made the paper money compulsory legal tender for all debts at par. And that's, of course, then, of course, specie starts disappearing like mad. And uh, they kept issuing more paper, and the paper kept depreciating, and the silver kept disappearing. <clears throat> and then they tried a public land bank, saying, well, land is backing it, and still issuing paper notes. It didn't make much difference. The result was still... Depreciation, rapid inflation, disappearance of specie. This continued, this was then copied by most of the other colonies, if not all, and resulting in a, quote, shortage of specie, unquote, because government said, here we have 40% depreciated notes. You must accept this as part of specie. Everybody said, that's to you. And they, you know, hoard the specie and melt it down or send it abroad. When Parliament finally prohibited all paper money issues in the 1750s, uh, the shortage was eliminated. The shortage suddenly disappeared. Be right back. Hey, Daly Show.